0: Well, welcome everybody and we're in the gospel series again and we're in a teaching and a sharing entitled The Cost of Obedience. Over the last few weeks we've been seeing that the scriptures and what the scriptures declare about the outcome for the redeemed who are disobedient. Remember we saw that and if you haven't heard that you need to go back over it. I'd like to uh, welcome Liz. I know she's on. I haven't spoken to Liz for many, many years. So, and Now we've seen in detail, haven't we, what outer darkness was all about. Remember that. And who goes there? And it might have been a bit of a shock for us to find out it's actually God's own redeemed who are disobedient uh, redeemed, disobedient who came in a direction that Jesus Christ refused to recognize. Remember that? Yeah. Now it was a direction that they thought he would recognize. Remember, because they came with all signs, miracles and wonders, all the great works that they thought were important, but he didn't. Yeah? so it 's important for us to understand that, and we saw the cost of disobedience didn 't we mm-hmm. and now we 're going to go into a shame this week over the next couple of weeks, probably about the cost of obedience, mm-hmm. yeah, because we, we so often think that the costs are going to be borne by those who are disobedient. No, the Bible is very clear, Jesus Christ was very clear, and we 're going to see it this week and we 're going to see it in the weeks to come that there is a cost for obedience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've got to clearly see that because Jesus told those who were trying to get access into the kingdom, and remember, they were the ones remember that who had done many mighty signs, and miracles, and wonders in His name. Yeah, that they were going to get cast into that outer darkness for an undetermined period of time. It's clear. There is definitely a cause for disobedience. And I got an email this week, somebody saying to me, Yeah, I really never want to hear the term, I don't know you, which is what he said to them. Yeah? And if we don't want to hear that, guess what? We're going to have to look at what he said. And we've been doing that since Matthew 5, as we've moved into Matthew 7 on that narrow gate, figuring out what it is you and I need to do. Yeah. And we're going to see it again today. It's important to realize the preparation is not coming when he returns. We've got to do it now. Yeah? Remember the foolish virgins, yeah? And he told these people, and again, they were redeemed people. They were shouting, Lord, Lord. He told them, despite all the power they manifested in their lives, they had been disobedient to him. Right? And the direction that he had clearly defined in the scriptures that they were to come. And that's what we're into. We're into finding out what it is that you and I need to do to understand what we need to do to enter through that narrow gate. Yeah? So the last few weeks we've been getting real, really clear on the direction, haven't we? We've been seeing how important the direction is. Not necessarily what the signs, miracles and wonders that we're seeing in the churches or the ministries or anywhere else. But the direction is absolutely critical, because that's what he focused on. And if that's what he focused on, guess what we should be focusing on? Absolutely. The direction that we are going in towards that narrow gate has got to be critical for us, right? Because he spelt it out right there in Matthew 7, right up in the whole context of Matthew 5 onwards, right? So today, we're going to turn the tables around a little bit, Yeah. Because we've looked at the cost of disobedience, haven't we? So today we're going to look at the cost that Jesus Christ associates with obedience yeah, to the gospel. Because there's a cost involved. And we've got to understand that. We've got to not go in this with our eyes blinded. We've got to go in with our eyes wide open as to what the cost is that Jesus Christ expects you and I to pay to be obedient to him. Yeah, that's going to be really key. And uh, we're going to see it over the next couple of weeks, right? But one of the first things Jesus Christ instructed people to do was count the cost. Mm-hmm. Put your hand up if you have never done that, because you, sh- you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You and I have to do it. He instructed us to count the cost, right? And we're going to see abs- the l- absolute necessity of that as we move into the scriptures today. And we do this in life all the time, don't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, and, but we very seldom ever do it in Christianity. And I'm going to explain why we don't so often. But we do it every day. Have you ever bought a car? Now when you go and decide to buy a car, yeah, you count the cost. Mm-hmm. The first place you turn up is not the Rolls Royce garage, is it? Yeah. Why? Because you counted the cost. You realise they're hundreds of thousands of dollars and I'm not willing to pay that. Yeah. yeah now we we might go for a test drive just for the jaunt, yeah? Okay. Try it out. But when you turn up as a teenager with your your rough jeans on, the guy knows this guy ain't going to be able to afford this, probably. Yeah, we do it when we buy a house, don't we? When you go and decide to buy a house in Vancouver, you don't go to the biggest mansion areas of Vancouver to go and start looking at them. Yeah. Now, again, we might do that just for a wee nosy, <laughs> yeah. see what see what the rest of the world live like, yeah. but we can't afford it. We've already decided in our hearts, no, I can't afford that mansion. I'm going to look at this two-bedroom condo because I can't afford that. And it's the same way with Jesus Christ. We've got to do it. Because Jesus Christ expects us to do something similar when it comes to him. He asks us before we sign on the line, Yeah, we better have counted the cost. Yeah, We better have asked the question, am I willing to do what it takes to be a follower of his? Am I willing to agonize? Remember that? Am I willing to pay that price of agony to get through that narrow gate that we've been looking at for weeks now? And we've got a decision then to make. No, I'm not. Or hopefully, yes, I am. Because yeah. the only way you and I are going to get through that narrow gate is by paying the cost that he depicts in the scripture. Yeah. Right? But just watch how unattractive Jesus makes, uh, <laughs> makes this look for all of us. He really does. And we're going to, some verses here, it's going to break us all gently into the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because the picture that most of us have in our minds, painted, by the way, by the religious systems of this world, is there is no cost. There's no cost involved. He paid the cost 2,000 years ago on the cross. You're okay. You don't need to pay anything. That's not what he said. Mm. That's not what the scriptures are dictating to us. And it's not the picture painted by Jesus Christ to all of us, right? In fact, he paints a picture, as do the scriptures, that you and I are going to have to sacrifice our lives to enter through that narrow gate. Did you hear that? You're going to have to sacrifice your life. Now, we've already got people tuning out <laughs> in their minds as we listen to this. And they haven't paid anything. They've just heard the words thought, no, I'm not, I'm not for that. I'm not going to give up my life. My life's too precious. Well, we're going to see it. What Jesus Christ thinks about that response. Yeah? Now, before we go to what Jesus taught on this, I want us to take a quick look at the Apostle Paul. Yeah? Or Saul, as he was called in the record that we're going to look at, because he was called Saul before God called him. Yeah? And we pick up the record, actually, in Acts now, what we should be clear on here, that Saul is here one of the redeemed of Israel. So when he's breathing out threatening, so we're going to see in a minute, he is already redeemed. You don't become a Pharisee of the Pharisees without being called out, uh, out of the redeemed of Israel. That's where they came from. Yeah? And so he was very clearly redeemed in the scriptures. Now, when we join Saul here in Acts, let's be aware of what Saul was up to. Because when we pick up this record, just watch the place Saul is in in his life. He's not looking for Jesus. (laughs) yeah. In fact, he's going about looking for anyone teaching about Jesus. And he's trying to jail them. He's trying to kill them. So that's where he is in life. It's really important that we see that. And he's jailing them to their almost certain death. But just watch, as we see here, how Jesus introduces himself to Saul. Soon to become, by the way, the Apostle Paul. Yeah, you talk about a turnaround one day he saw, he's chasing and murdering the Christians, anybody who mentions that name Jesus, he's searching all over the countryside for them pulling them out, men, women and children and in almost no space of time at all he's preaching that same name, he is called out as the Apostle Paul but just watch the selling job that Jesus does on him yeah, it's phenomenal now, we know this had to be a vision that we're going to see coming up. Because Jesus is where. He's currently in the heavenly tabernacle, seated at the right hand of God. And he's making intercession for all of us. So we know exactly where he is, depicted in scriptures, right? And he only leaves there when he returns. Why do we know that? Because the scripture says he entered there once. And he's not going to come in and out of the holy tabernacle, or the holiest of holies. It's not a revolving door. He's in and out of there. He's in there once, he's entered once, and he continues there until he returns yeah, in judgment. So he's residing in that Holy is Holy. So when we see him turning up, and his voice turning up in the book of Acts, we know it's a vision. Because he's making intercession for the redeemed, as I say at the, thro- at the throne of grace, for forgiveness. When we, as the redeemed, come to him for that forgiveness. Just like they they came to the tent of meeting in Leviticus 16, we have to come to Him for that forgiveness in order to for that forgiveness of sin. Because Hebrews 9 tells us, let's go there quickly. Hebrews 9:12 says He entered once for all, not twice. He doesn't keep going in and out. He entered once for all, and that's all with distinction, because He didn't do it for everybody. We're going to see that before we get into the, the record in Acts. So once for all. With distinction, who are they all? We've got to understand this, and we will in the context. Into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal, Ioneum, age-lasting redemption. But you see here, he only secured an eternal, age-lasting redemption for God's redeemed. It's only God's redeemed. right? How do we know that? Because you read the context. Look at verse 15. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore, he's the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are what? Called. So what we have to see here is that you have to be called. God has to redeem you. God has to elect you. You have to be called out in order to benefit from the life of Jesus Christ. And we saw that right at the beginning of this series, who the gospel is addressed to. It's addressed to God's redeemed. It's addressed to those who he calls. Mm-hmm. So that those who are called may receive. We'll come back to that. May receive is really critical. We understand that it's may. It's aorist, active, subjunctive. What does that mean? We'll get back to it. The promised eternal, ionian, age-long inheritance. So it's, we're going to see it's optional to receive that inheritance. Why? Because it says may receive. And you may not receive. Yeah? Just because you stick your hand up in a meeting, give your heart to Jesus, all these unscriptural terms that people use, doesn't mean you're going to receive the inheritance. We're going to see that. Because it takes getting through that narrow gate. Remember that. Mm -hmm. Remember what he said. Unless you change, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. Yeah? Yeah? So it is optional. Since a death has occurred, that redeems them. We're redeemed by the blood spilt of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that's age-long from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now that may receive, heirs, undefined, that's simply what this means, really easy to understand, it's in your notes, heirs, undefined as to the progress or completion of the action. Why? Why? Because it depends on you, what you're doing. Do you remember that? We're only going to receive this depending on how we act and depending on how we live our lives. Now, this is separate from redemption. Those who are called are already called. They're elected. Doesn't mean... Remember the guys outside the gate shouting, Lord, Lord, they were redeemed. But they weren't walking in the will of the Father. Active. The subject is acting. Not Jesus acting on you. You're acting. I'm acting. Subjunctive. Expresses the idea of probable completion of the action of the verb probable, (laughs) yeah, with the possibility, get it, of the action of the verb failing to be completed. It's not guaranteed. You see that? Why? Why isn't it guaranteed? Because it's dependent on you paying the cost. Mm -hmm. And if you decide you're not going to pay the cost, you're not going to receive the inheritance. So clear in Scripture, once you get this, redemption and salvation sorted out in our heads and not listen to the religious systems of this world who teach something totally at cross purposes to the Scripture. So, let's go and see Paul, or Saul as he's called in this section. But what a turnaround. (laughs) Watch this. Now, the backdrop is, Saul was what he himself referred to later on in the scriptures, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So that clearly tells us he is somebody God has already redeemed. He's already called him out, right? But he hasn't called him to this ministry. He's elected, having been redeemed, but he's still got to go get called into the ministry that God calls him to. It's fantastic. Because just because he was redeemed, and we'll see that here, he's not walking in the will of the Father. It wasn't the will of the Father that he goes about murdering the Christians. Murdering those who talk about and preach about Jesus Christ. Was that God's will? Absolutely not. Didn't stop him being that redeemed called out of Israel. Romans 11.28 tells us that the redeemed are the enemies of God at times in the scriptures and historically. They're what? They're the enemies of God who crucified our Lord and Saviour, the redeemed did. The redeemed of Israel crucified him, murdered him on the cross. That's who did it. They're not the friends of God because he redeemed them. Sometimes they'll turn out, as we're going to see in this record, the enemies of God. Yeah, Acts 9.1 But Saul, now watch this. Again, Saul is his name before he gets called into the ministry. And Saul still breathing th- threats and what? Murder! You think you've got a lot to get over in terms of your life and forgetting your sin? This guy was a murderer! And not only was he a murderer, but we see him in, in the scriptures having to go back in and teach those of the families that he murdered. And they didn't want to know him. Yeah. It's huge. We've got to realize what he had to overcome. Against who? The disciples of the Lord! That's all he was interested in, that was his mission in life, was to get those disciples of Jesus Christ and kill them. Drag them off to jail, yeah? And he went to the high priest. Now there's a bit of a clue involved here. Do you see that? Here's a redeemed Pharisee talking to a redeemed high priest about how do we get rid of these guys who are teaching about Jesus. Get it? Yeah. The redeemed are the issue. So often in the scriptures. Right. So the first thing we have to realize is that Saul is not looking for Jesus. <laughs> is he? He's not looking for the meat that he can stick his hand up in. He's looking to destroy them. Mm-hmm. That's so key for us to understand as we go through this. He's looking for any follower of Jesus Christ to jail them to their certain death. Mm-hmm. Look at verse 2. And asked him, asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Though as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven flashed all around him. You got that picture? He's walking along the road with his friends, looking for the followers of Jesus. And suddenly, out of the sky, comes this blinding light all around him. And verse 4, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, do you see Jesus' perspective here? Yeah? His perspective is that if you're chasing the followers of Jesus, if you're chasing those who love me and do my commandments, you're persecuting me. Do you remember that a couple of weeks back when we looked at him talking to them about how they had fed him a bit of food, how they would given him a drink of water, how they had visited him in jail. They're scratching their heads saying, we didn't do that for you. Oh, yes, you did. When you do it for them, you're doing it for me. Get that perspective. When Jesus uh, uh, is talking here, he's looking at the followers of Jesus Christ, his followers, as being him. So when he, Saul was trying to kill them, he was trying to destroy him. Yeah. It's a huge perspective. Verse 5. And he said... Who are you, Lord? I don't think that's significant. He's calling him Lord, and he hasn't even had any conversation with the guy yet. He said, Lord. Because he started to realize, maybe I should be respecting this person, whoever it is. Yeah? Why? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, from Saul's point of view, oh no, he's just going about finding the followers. But from Jesus' perspective, you're persecuting me. Why? Because that's who they were standing for. When you and I speak the words of Jesus Christ, and we get persecuted for it, and we get held, held and persecuted for doing that, they're persecuting him. Because all we're doing is communicating what he did. And what he communicated. Right? Verse 6, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Catch that. Don't miss that. I didn't put any emphasis in your notes, but don't miss it. What you are to what? Do. But most people are telling us today, there's nothing you have to do. Because it's all been done on the cross. Put your feet up. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to change, for goodness sake. He did it all. Your past sins are forgiven. Current sins are forgiven. Your future sins are forgiven. You don't need to do anything. They're only forgiven when you come to the high priest. When you come to that throne of grace. And the men who were travelling with them stood what? speechless. Do you remember that guy in the wedding banquet? Remember, he was speechless. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one. They're saying, "Who's the heck's talking? We're standing out here on the road. There's blinding light all around us. Saul's on the ground, and we're going to see he's blind. And and there's there's a voice, and I can't see anybody. Huge. And look at verse 8. Saul rose from the ground, and though although his eyes were open, he got that picture of this guy standing up with his eyes wide open, he saw nothing. <laughs> so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. These guys must be well, what the heck happened? <laughs> this light shone around him, my pal Saul, and now he's blind. I've got to hold him by the hand and take him into Damascus. He can't see two inches in front of him. And for three days he's without sight. And he neither ate nor drank. Yeah. So do you see here anything about Saul praying the sinner's prayer? <laughs> do you? Do we see him doing a verse? Yeah. To be, quote, saved? We don't, do we? Do you see anybody quoting, shouting Romans 10, 9 and 10 at him? That would be kind of difficult. He hasn't written it yet. Yet, he's called. Not only called, he's called to be the greatest apostle, one of the greatest apostles that ever walked the face of the earth. And there's not a Bible verse in view. Do you get that? Now, he knew the Hebrew scriptures, but today we think we've got to pump verses at people in order for them to get, quote, saved. Yeah? And, we, and I tell you right now, there's not one verse being quoted at Saul or Paul here in this section. And I immediately know that you've, what you're thinking right now in your head, oh yeah, but Romans tells us that you know they're not going to hear without a pre- preacher. They're not going to hear unless the Scripture's spoken. Who is that addressed to? Romans 1:7 tells us it's already getting addressed to the redeemed. They're already called by God. Paul in Romans is talking to them about preaching Jesus. The Messiah, making him the Messiah in the redeemed's lives. They're already called. What they're hearing is the word of the Messiah. Making Lord, making him Lord in their life was part of their walk. Right? It wasn't them doing a verse and getting, quote, born again. Got to understand these things and it's all on our website if you want to understand it. But what I want us to see here is how God outlines the cost to Saul at a really early stage. yeah, Because he tells Ananias in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, this is talking about Ananias, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. He's what? Chosen. It wasn't Saul choosing God. Yeah. Do you see that? He was so far away from doing that, cho- making that correct choice. It'd make your head spin. God chose him. When some God redeems somebody, he's doing the choosing, not that individual. Read Romans 9, which is really close to Romans 10. <laughs> yeah? Which is so often quoted as being the verses that brings a person to God. Yeah? So, what? He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him Boy, will I show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Do you see that? What a job description God's given him. Did you hear that? Saul, so I'm calling you to this fantastic ministry and you're going to suffer. How many of us would put our hands up? How many would us get our churches filled if the billboards outside says, Come on in. You're going to suffer for my name. You're going to get persecuted. Some of them, are, you are going to get beheaded. You're going to get 39 stripes. All this stuff that we read in the scriptures, you wouldn't get anybody coming. And we're not concerned about that. Because we know that as we teach the truth of the scripture, those who are called, those who hear the voice of the shepherd, will respond. And guess what? They're going to be few. How do I know that? Because Jesus said it. So there's God's job description for Paul. Yeah. How many job applications would you get if your job description looked like that? Very Hey. few. There's a surprise. Very few. Because nobody wants it. They don't want to pay the price. But Saul, Paul as he's called now, had to have heard these words and said, Yes I am. I'm willing to do that for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord, who is the Savior. I'm willing to pay the price with my life. Because Paul was under no illusion that this was going to be a little bit of rejection he was going to get. Because bear in mind, these guys who hold him to this week's call street, they're, just, they're, out looking for the, they're out looking for the followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying to himself, hold on a minute, if I become one of them, guess what? These guys are going to be my enemies. And they're really committed enemies, never to be underestimated. Now, (laughs) look at this. Now, by verse 33 of the same chapter, yeah? Paul, as he is now known, is running for his life. What a phenomenal turnaround. Because some days earlier, he was the one doing the chasing, wasn't he? With these same Jews, these redeemed Jews, that he's now being chased by. (laughs) What a phenomenal turnaround, right? But do you see who's doing the chasing? Verse 33 says, But when many days had passed, the who? 23. Sorry, 23. Verse 23. But when many days had passed, the who? The Jews! The redeemed of God plotted to kill him. Now bear in mind, there were his buddies a few days earlier. Going about chasing after the followers of Jesus Christ. Now they're ch- Hey, did you hear the news? Saul, he was blind for three days and now... Something's happened to him, and he's now preaching Jesus Christ. Let's get him. Amazing. But do you see, it's the redeemed who are the issue. So often it's the case. yeah. They're plotting to kill him. So right there, we just read the greatest calling, right? One of the greatest callings in the scriptures of Saul, who is now called the Apostle Paul, right? And did you catch that? There's not a Bible verse in sight, <laughs> yeah. Because bear in mind, all they had were the Hebrew Scriptures, weren't they? Mm. They weren't quote. He wasn't quoting. Somebody wasn't quoting Colossians to him. Why? Because he wrote Colossians. You know, as a future event, he wrote Ephesians. He wrote all the majority of the New Testament were written by this guy. And yet today, many believe that, you know, until someone hears the Bible, until they hear Bible verses, God can't call them. Are you kidding? God doesn't care what you're doing when he needs something done. Remember that. It's irrelevant. Saul was murdering and putting them in jail. God called him. Not one verse quoted at him. Because a fantastic section in Romans 9. Let's go there. Romans 9. Because we so often underestimate the power of God. Look at Romans 9. About the calling and election of God. Though they were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad, this is a reference to Jacob and Esau, had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. So there's a what? There's a purpose of election of God. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. So it's got nothing to do with you. If if Saul was called for his works, wow! (laughs) I would like to see the outcome of that. Yeah. Yeah, Up to the point that he was called. Yeah. And she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. No, there isn't. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Yeah, but that's not fair. You can hear the echoes, can't you? Mm -hmm. Well, talk to the management. If you don't think it's fair. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Well, that's not fair. And look at verse 16. So then, it depends not on human will. It's not you deciding one day I want to know Jesus. This redemption of God is outside of your will. It's outside of my will. But the decisions I make from that point on are my will. Yeah. And we were held responsible for it. Outside of the human will, or what? Exertion. It's not about you memorizing scripture and knowing all the verses and doing stuff. Yeah, this election and calling of God are outside of the human will and outside of the human works. Look at the next three words. But on God. When will we get that through our heads? It's on God. I'm so relaxed now about finding people for Jesus. Why? Because God's got to find them first. And then it's my job to sow the seed of the kingdom out there and watch who responds. It's not my job to make you respond. Do you understand? We've got to do the best we can. We've got to love people. We've got to minister to people. We've got to serve people. I know that. But if they don't respond, that's not my issue. It's theirs at the judgment seat of Christ. And as long as I've got a clear conscience that I've done everything I can do to assist the redeemed who are called to understand and know the Scriptures, then I've done what I'm expected to do. Yeah. And so have you. But on God who has what? Mercy. Phenomenal. Yeah. Now bear in mind, Jacob and Esau were redeemed, but they had two different outcomes. Yeah. Does that remind you of anything? Daniel 12 too. Yeah? yeah. So we're going to see that God makes it very clear in Scripture that if you pick up this race, remember we looked at that a while back in a series called, uh, what was it called? (laughs) Running the Race. Yeah, Running the Race. If you grab this baton, yeah, in his race, right, that Jesus Christ is holding out to all of us, if you grab a hold of it, yeah, you and I better be ready and willing to run the race and pay the cost. So you better analyze it before you grab it. That's the purpose of this teaching today. To get rid of some people who might be listening. (laughs) Because what we want to do is make sure that you understand the cost. You understand it clearly. And that when you grab the baton to get into the race, you're willing to pay the cost. And I'm talking about the cost of obedience. Not the cost of you saying, no, I don't want that. There is a cost involved with that. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. It's outer darkness. Those who don't decide to walk in the ways of the Father end up in outer darkness. That's okay. If that's what you want, and as you go clearly into this race, you've got to understand. You've got to be involved in understanding that you're going to have to give up some stuff, yeah. not least the sin in our lives. Yeah. But I, what I want us to really clearly see today is there's actually a cost involved. Yeah. yeah. This is not a free ride. Yeah. This, it's, 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 there's a price to pay. Christianity is teaching today. It's a free ride. It's not. And believe me, as we get closer to the end times, we're all going to see it's not a free ride. Because there's going to be some stuff turning up in in all of our lives if we live much longer. That ain't going to be nice. We're going to see it over the weeks to come. But the great thing about Jesus is he makes that very clear up front. He's not wanting you to sign on the line and not understand the clauses that are way at the bottom of the contract. (laughs) I've got them signed up now. Yeah? But you know, that's what so many churches do. They get people coming in. As long as you fill the pew, as long as you turn up, there's no cost involved. There is. And it's going to turn up at some point. Now, I want you to listen to your heart as we go through this today. Yeah? And I'm including myself in this. Because many listening to this today will hear the words, and you've heard some words already, and not understand the implications of what's been said. Yeah? The implications of this are absolutely massive in all of our lives. And you can put it down to, oh yeah, I'm just listening to this on the internet. I've just decided to flick over, have a listen, see, see if it fits my view of the, uh, you know, the church I want to be involved in. Do you realize there's people that do that? They're going around church hopping, trying to find the church that fits their style of life. <laughs> I don't read that in scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> 'Cause being a Christian today for the most part does not mean any cost. Why? Because of scripture twisting in the main, and the church leadership for the most part, they don't get people to count the cost. Yeah. They want them filling the pews at all costs. Yeah. And as long as they're filling their churches, they're happy. But so often they're not teaching that there is a cost to pay and that's so so important. Because it's not what the Lord taught. Yeah. The Lord taught there was a cost. Look at Matthew ten. That's a huge cost here that Jesus Christ is outlining. Get a hold of this. See if you want to do it. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you right now before I even read the verses, it's going to be few. Why? Because <laughs> he told us it would be. Matthew ten thirty-seven. Whoever. That, what does that mean? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Any volunteers? And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow. That is absolutely massive. Are you ready to give up your family? Can you hear them leaving his church? Yeah? Yeah. Can you hear the pitter patter of the sandals as they walk away from him? Absolutely. But you see, that's it. Whosoever, there's no exceptions to this. Yeah, you're not going to sneak into the kingdom thinking, "Oh, well, I got here." Yeah, without it. But bear in mind, this is the intro for today. Yeah, (laughs) to understanding that there's a cost to pay, and so many are hearing this and they're saying the cost's too high already. The cost's too high. I heard that. And the cost too high. And they haven't been asked to do anything. <laughs> They've just heard the words. And already the cost is too high. Do you realize the cost is too high for some people to attend a service like this? And now on a Sunday morning, it's just too much. I've got other things to do. And we're going to see some of them in a minute. And why is that? Because we're all so focused on the temporal. Yeah? We're all so focused on the temporal and we're not focused on the unseen, which is eternal, which is everlasting, which is age-lasting. Yeah, We're so focused on today, we're so focused on ourselves, we're so focused on our own lives that we don't realize that we have to pay the cost. And now look, the cost is going to be too great for some people. I understand that. I'm not standing here pointing fingers saying I'm paying the full cost either. I've got to get my head around this just the same way as you do. yeah. Because if somebody came in here with a machine gun right now and asked me to drop Jesus Christ for my family, I'd have to think about it. So we need to look at the The scene has to take a back seat, doesn't it? That is not easy. Believe me, that is not easy. But we have to do it. Because if we continue to look at the scene, we'll get bogged down. We will get pressured into doing the, going into the systems of this world and deriving our priorities by the systems of this world. Look at Luke 14, Luke 14:28. 14, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? You'd be absolutely off your head to start building a house and not figure out. that 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 the base of the house, the foundation of the house that you're doing, is a mansion. And you're going to have to put bricks and mortar onto that. And it's going to be massive. Too big for the money you have. Whether he has enough to complete it. Let's do a bit of speed reading here. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, and is what? Not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and he was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? The odds are against him winning, aren't they? He's got to figure that out before the battle starts. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a peace delegation, yeah? And asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Did you hear that? Because most of us didn't. Because it's telling us that in order to be his disciple, a disciplined one of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to renounce all that you have. Now that doesn't mean you go up and sell your house and use cars and every bit of stitch of clothes that you have and you walk about with a little grass skirt on. Right? That's not what he's talking about. But we have to prioritize things to be his disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let me ask us all, why do we think we can be a disciple without giving up anything? Doesn't add up, does it? We cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and not give up anything. And you may think, and I may think I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, but that's the only place it turns up in our own thinking. If we're not willing to pay the cost. Because the reality is hugely different in the scriptures. Look at Luke 14 12. He said also to the man who had invited him When you give a dinner now, he's giving this is like a parable, he's he's telling a story here. When you give a dinner or a banquet Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now we're going to see the significance of why Jesus Christ thinks it's important that we don't get repaid in this life. So the context here is about doing things in this present life, isn't it? And getting repaid for them now. (laughs) Did you catch that? We don't want to get repaid now. You want to avoid that like the plague, you don't want to get repaid now. We're going to see this to come on here. So we have to keep that as a backdrop because it's what? The context of what Jesus Christ is telling us here. And we're going to see how important it is in Jesus' mind not getting repaid in the present. It's huge. Verse 13. But, but in contrast, when you give a feast, in, when, you're, when you're throwing a party, <laughs> in our vernacular, Right? Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Wow. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. not incredible? So Jesus Christ thinks this, this is really important to be able to be doing things for those less fortunate than yourself and not getting repaid now. Because remember Daniel 12 too. Some of the redeemed are just and resurrected to Ionian life. And some of the resu- are resurre- redeemed are raised in that same resurrection as unjust to Ionian contempt. Yeah? In the very same resurrection. Because you see there in verse 14, resurrection is singular, isn't it? Verse 15. When one, of, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. The whole context in relation to that parable and and virtually every other parable, is the coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. Do you remember that? We're a bit further into the gospel series today, but don't forget it. The gospel is all about the good news. The good news about what? His coming earthly kingdom and our probable, did you catch that? Probable inheritance in that kingdom. If we do what he says to do. Look look at uh, Luke 14, verse 16. But he said to him... Now, here's another great story. Listen up, right? But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Do you remember when we did... I think it was part 14 of this series. When we went into Matthew 22. And it says the king threw a wedding banquet. Remember, a wedding feast. Remember that? This is really similar. And a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the, time, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited. So it's all those guys who have got the invitation. Yeah? And we know from when we did Matthew 22 that the invitation first went out to Israel, didn't it? The redeemed of Israel first got the invitation. But this guy said, so the servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So similar to the, the wedding banquet, but it's a different one. So, it's so, everything's ready. I've done all the purchasing, been to Safeway, been to Costco, got all the stuff. It's all ready. Jesus Christ has paid the price. It's all ready. You, all you have to do is turn up. Verse 18. But they all alike, did you catch that? No exceptions here. They all alike began to make excuses. Does this ring any bells with any of us? When we invite people to know and understand the kingdom, they can always come up with a whole bunch of excuses. And here's a whole bunch of them coming up. And the first said to him, I have bought a field. I bought some land. And I must go and see it. I've got to tour around the land I bought. Please have me excused. Now highlighted in your notes there, some really significant letters and words in, the, in these verses. I, me, and I was watching Donald Trump the other night on TV getting interviewed. I lost count of him many times. He said I, and I how many times he said me because he is the centre of attention, and the politicians are the same, and so many business people are the same. It's me. I'm the centre of attention. I'm what's important. Not the sacrifice that you made in order to make this banquet ready, which was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've got too much stuff on. My diary, my iPhone is full. Diary is full. Can't make it. Sorry. See ya. And verse 19, and another said, Oh, hold on. I have bought five yoke of oxen, I bought an RV. And I need to go and make sure it's 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 legal, it's up to date, it's got all the it's got all the add-ons that I that I asked for. Please have me excused. I I me. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah. And another said. So I hey, remember when he said all alike had excuses. No kidding, was it? Verse twenty. says another said. Oh, I just got married. And you know, if I hadn't just got married, I'd have been there. I would have come along. Yeah, sure. Remember, these are excuses. Right? They're excuses. I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I can't come to your banquet. I can't come to the kingdom. I can't really come to the full understanding of what you're talking about because I've got too much stuff on. All the stuff in my life. Remember the scene I talked about? Yeah? All the stuff that I'm seeing, all the stuff in my life, I'm just too busy. Sorry. See ya. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. That was the same response. Do you remember that? When the king heard that the invitations went out, there was no replies. They paid no attention. The king got angry. Same way here. It's the same depiction of God getting angry. Why? Because he's paid the cost of all costs by giving his son Jesus Christ so that you and I could rule and reign with him in the coming kingdom. But I'm just too busy. He became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor. For goodness sake, bring in anybody. Anybody who wants to know my son. Anybody who wants to pay the price. Bring them in. I've got a kingdom here. The price has been paid by Jesus Christ. I've got to get some people in here. Because the other outcome is horrendous. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. Yeah. So he's begging people to come in. Bring in the poor and crippled, lame and blind. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done. There's still room. (laughs) Yeah. I went out there and grabbed everybody I could see, but guess what? There's still room in here. Why is there still room? Because Jesus said it's going to be a few. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get crushed in the banquet. You're okay for getting your food in the back in the in the line for the all you can eat. There'll be plenty left over. And then verse 23, then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in, for goodness sake, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited, who were they? The guy who got married. The guy who bought the RV. Yeah. And what was the other one? <laughs> I forget. The, field. the what? The field. the field. Yeah. He bought a field. Because none of these guys who came up with a whole bunch of excuses are going to get a taste of anything in my banquet. The kingdom. This is all in relation to the coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. They're going to be cast into outer darkness. We saw that the other week. But they had good excuses, didn't they? I mean, credible excuses. But none of them meant anything to the Lord. Look at verse 25 of Luke 14. Now, great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me... Now, do you get the picture? He's got great crowds following him. And he's going to narrow this down a little bit here. He says, if anyone comes to me... Did you catch that? Anyone comes to me and does not hate... Now, that's not talking about you hating your mother and father and brother and sister. Yeah, It's just regard as inferior. Yeah? His own father, mother and wife and children and brothers and sister. Yes, even his own life. He cannot, did you catch that? He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's not trying to win friends and influence people, is he? He didn't take the Dale Carnegie coach because he's telling people up front, this is what you've got to do. If you're willing to follow me and you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to give up some stuff. You're going to have to do what I say you're going to have to do. It's not enough To say, I don't want to hear the words, I never knew you. You've got to take some action. Mm. Because going up to him at the the judgment seat and saying, Oh, yeah, but Jesus, I do love you, honest. No, you don't. Because you didn't take the action I asked you to take. Do you get that? Mm. So many disciples are there going to be then? (laughs) That's a good question, isn't it? I'll leave you to answer that. Yeah? Mm. But we know it's going to be a few. Yeah. But do you see, Jesus didn't make it optional, yeah? i started starting to see this is not optional. People with all the excuses thought it was optional. I can take it or leave it. I can go to the banquet or not go to the banquet, and go to my field, and go to my RV, go to my wife. It's optional. I'll get to it some other day, yeah? The day is now. The day is now. Today is the day, yeah? Not when you get around to it. Remember that? Don't wait to get around to it, because getting around to it will never happen in most of our lives. Something else will come up. Another great excuse. yeah? Because that's what the many are saying. They actually think that entrance into Christ's kingdom will come regardless of their response to the invitation. Regardless of their actions or lack of actions, they're going to get in anyway. Whereas Jesus is painting a picture of the cost of doing that. But most people think there is no cost. Or the little price they're willing to pay will be enough. Because they've been taught God is unconditional love. Have you ever found that verse? I keep waiting for someone to get me that verse. Maybe it's because it's not in Scripture. The Bible's full of conditions. And we read some of them today unless you change we've seen it over and over again and then he, he said unless you give up your life you cannot be that's conditional so over the next couple of weeks as we close off here what we're going to focus on it's not the cost of ignoring the invitation it's the cost of taking up the invitation it's actually the cost of you RSVPing to him and his calling that's what we're going to look at because so often we think the real cost is in disobedience and there's no real cost in obedience Because Jesus taught there was a cost to be paid for both obedience and disobedience. We've got to be so clear on that, right? So the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on the cost of obedience. Now, one of the reasons people think this is optional is the false prophets of this world, they're watering down the message of Jesus Christ. So as long as you attend church regularly, as long as you profess to be, quote, Christian, yeah, many of these leaders are happy. Well, I've got news for you. Jesus Christ is not. Yeah? And you better listen to his words, not what they're saying. He's only happy with change. remember that? Unless you change, you're not going to enter the kingdom. <laughs> he's only happy with change. We've got to get that firmly focused in our mind. Don't get fooled into thinking you can. Because if that was possible, for him to be happy without change, he'd be a liar. And he's not a liar. None of us will be coming into the kingdom of Jesus Christ and putting our arm around Jesus and thanking him for allowing us into the kingdom despite us not changing. <laughs> that ain't going to happen, right? But do you realize that many think it well. The many think that I don't need to make all that change that he's talking about. I'm going to rule and read with him anyway because I did something. I did a verse. Yeah? Have you ever heard anyone saying, and I know I sure have, Oh you're teaching all that? I'll be OK, despite my actions, because God knows my heart. Mm. Yes, He does. And let's look at what God says about you and I, heart. Jeremiah 17:9 says, "The heart is deceitful, and above all things. Did you catch that? Nothing more deceitful than your heart. Mm. I'm desperately sick. Who can understand it? Same verse in another translation says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked, who really knows how bad it is? Mm. God does. Yeah. <laughs> so you better be praying to God. He's not looking at you and my heart. Mm. When we come to the judgment seat of Christ, you better be praying for the grace and mercy of God Almighty when we get there. And you better hope that He doesn't look at your heart And he puts your heart aside and goes by his love and his mercy and his grace for every one of us, right? So next week we're going to start to see the very real costs of obedience, yeah? Because this is so far from a free ride, guys, you would not believe it, yeah? Jesus Christ did not say it's a free ride. So we've got to start to be preparing ourselves for what's ahead. Because the book of Revelation, if you ever dip into that book, right? Right? does not paint a great pictures for the followers of Jesus Christ. It really doesn't. And we've got to start preparing ourselves. We've got to start putting the roots of the Scripture into our hearts and lives and get committed to this thing, so that when it comes, when it turns up, we're ready for it. Because thinking you're going to have an easy ride by being obedient certainly is not what the Scriptures are teaching. It's not what the Scriptures are teaching, and we've got to get back to what do the Scriptures say. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your Word today. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can wholeheartedly go by what he said, not necessarily what people say about him. Thank you, Father, that each of us can be pricked in our hearts today to change, can be pricked in our hearts, Father, to count the cost and to make the right decisions for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.